If you want to learn how to gain insights you can act on and solve business problems with data, all while building a data-driven culture at your organization, sign up for Pragmatic Institute's new course, Data Science for Business Leaders. Find out more at pragmaticinstitute.com data. Welcome everyone. My name is Sierra King and I am the Director of Admissions and Program Services at the Data Incubator and we are a fellowship, scholarship, and placement company. And I am joined by our excellent head instructor Robert Schroll and we have promised you all an excellent info session today where we will provide you with some tips, tricks, and insider help to help you earn a full tuition scholarship for our data science or our data engineering program. To start things off, I'd like to give you a quick overview of our programs and everything that we offer at the Data Incubator, and then we will go into our tips and tricks for earning that full tuition scholarship spot. We're going to start off with our staff introductions, and then we will go into our program overview and then some housekeeping items for all of you. So again, to start things off again, my name is Sierra, and I'm joining you from Phoenix, Arizona. Very excited to meet all of you and go over our full tuition scholarship offerings. And then I will pass to our instructor, Rob. Hi everybody, my name's Robert. I'm one of the instructors here at the Data Incubator located out here in beautiful Alameda, California. Uh, glad to have you here today uh, and happy to tell you about uh, what it is that we're looking for uh, for people as they're joining us at the Data Incubator. Uh, more on that in a bit, back to Sierra to just tell you a little bit, I'm sure most of you know, but tell you a little bit about what it actually means to be at the Data Incubator. Yes, thanks Rob. So we are excited to announce that for our fall 2022 cohort, we will be offering three data-focused programs. We'll be offering our successful full-time data science fellowship program, our part-time data science program, and our data engineering program as well. So all of our programs are intense. They are built around hands-on data-focused curriculums, and we offer both full-time and part-time programs for our data science program, and then full-time for our data engineering. All of the programs are packed with a lot of information and tools. They're very thorough. Each week we'll focus on a different data tool or approach. And in addition to our lectures, we have our students participate in hands-on practice. We really believe in fostering an interactive learning environment. And so in each program, our students will work on many projects that focus on the data tools that you're studying. Additionally, our programs are very collaborative. We want our students not only to work with their colleagues and instructors, but also have the opportunity to network and connect with our hiring partners. We're also very career focused here at the Data Incubator. We have career coaches that help you succeed in your, in your data focused careers. You'll not only learn how to present your best self by attending our career search workshops, you'll also have the opportunity to participate in mock interviews to help prepare you for the interview process. And then you'll be working with one of the number one resume writing companies to get you a polished resume and cover letter. And lastly, all of our programs are interactive. Every student in our program is provided a Jupyter server for the duration of the course. So students can follow along in the lecture and see and edit raw code that's being run. And you also will receive immediate feedback via our interactive grader. For our full-time data science program, this lasts for eight weeks with classes held daily. You can expect to spend about 40 hours per week outside of class working on assignments. And then here's the overline or overview of our full-time program broken down by week. If you have questions about the curriculum, again, you're always welcome to email us admissions at the datingcubator.com. We can walk through each of those modules with you. For our part-time data science program, it has the same curriculum as our full-time program. It's just broken down to last over 20 weeks with classes held Tuesdays and Thursdays from 7 p.m. Eastern to 9.30 p.m. Eastern. And you can expect to spend about 10 hours per week outside of class working on your assignments. And you'll also have office hours available each week. Again, you'll receive that same excellent curriculum and training as our full-time program, but at a slower pace. And these sessions are still live and instructor-led, so you're able to interact with your instructor and your peers and ask questions. And then for our full-time data engineering program, this is also last eight weeks with classes held daily. Similar to our data science program, you can expect to spend about 20 hours per week outside of class working on assignments. And then this is our overview broken down by the modules week by week. If you'd like to see a more detailed overview or discuss any of these modules in more detail, again, you're always welcome to email admissions at the dataincubator.com and we can get you set up with an enrollment counselor. 
So the data incubators programs are designed to, treat, to train academics for careers as data scientists and data engineers in the business world. Each student completes a capstone project throughout the program that applies the tools you've learned to a real world problem of your choosing. And this ends up being a great portfolio piece to add to your resume to showcase your ability to work with real world data. And then in our data science program, we've seen about 88% of our graduates are working as data scientists or engineers within six months of completing the program. And then our graduates are working in over 55 different industries, ranging from software, IT, internet, financial services, biotech, and many more. And we'll also post a link in the chat for our alumni outcomes page so you can see what a lot of our alumni are up to at this point. And then this is the short list of some of our hiring partners. If you'd like to see a more detailed list, we'll put our email in the chat. I keep mentioning you're going to hear admissions at thedatingcubator.com quite a few times throughout this presentation, but that will be your go-to for questions. And if you'd like to learn more about our hiring partners, email us there as well. So you all are here to learn about how you will earn a full tuition scholarship. And we refer to those students in our program as fellows. And if you're brand new to the dating incubator programs, you may be wondering, what is a fellow? Well, we admit two types of students into our programs. Fellows are offered tuition-free scholarships to our full-time program, and we offer a limited number of these scholarships to highly qualified candidates. And Rob will outline exactly what that means and what we're looking for in a fellow. Fellows are expected to leave any current employment to attend our programs and are expected to interview exclusively with our hiring partners. Scholars will pay tuition to participate in our program. They are not required to interview solely with our hiring partner network and may maintain their current employment. Scholars will still have the same access to curriculum, resources, and tools as their fellow students. The only difference is that scholarship portion. And the full tuition scholarships are not offered for our part-time program. So with that, I know a lot of information. I will pass to Rob to walk you through what exactly we're looking for so you can earn one of those full tuition scholarship spots. Thanks very much, Sierra. Uh, so what does a, a typical fellow look like? Well, there is a lot of variation. We get people from a variety of different backgrounds. Uh, some people who have done academic work, some people who have worked in industry. Uh, people from backgrounds as diverse as physics to anthropology can become fellows. But in general, uh, this is roughly what the average fellow is going to look like. Uh, they typically have a master's or PhD in some technical field, um, and they solve real-world problems, either within an uh, industry job or perhaps by doing research that impacts the real world in their academic career. They've done some amount of programming. They may not be experts, but they're at least comfortable around at least one programming language. Um, and they're looking to get hired. They're looking to go out, start a new job at the uh, conclusion of the program, uh, and they're willing to be open-minded about where that might be, both in terms of physical location and, I guess, mental location in terms of the different industries that you might be going in. Uh, part of the program is the, a completion of a eight-week or 20-week in the part-time program capstone project that you're working through. Uh, and the fellows are those that are going to produce those capstone projects that are eye-catching, that are exciting, that catch the interest of our hiring partners. And as we say, it's nice if you have that previous work experience, but it's certainly not required. There are many fellows who come directly out of academia and have convinced us based on their background that they will be able to succeed uh, in an industry environment. Why are we doing it this way? Well, quite frankly, we won't beat around the bush. We are looking for fellows that will be hired by our hiring partners. That's why the hiring partners work with us, is because they want to see people who would make good uh, employees, good hirees into their companies. So what we're looking for in fellows is largely what the hiring companies are looking for in the people that they are looking to hire. What's that? Well, it certainly is technical ability. Uh, they're going to expect uh, new hires to come in and make an impact quickly, come with the skills that are necessary to do their job as a data scientist. But they also want to make sure that that uh, that work being done is practical and impactful. Uh, a prejudice that many of us face as we come out of academia is, oh, you're this ivory tower thinker that doesn't know how to actually solve problems in the real world. It's those real world problems that are really the important ones. Uh, so the ideal fellow candidate will be able to convince us and be able to convince the hiring partners that they understand the difference between theoretical problems and actual everyday problems. Data science is a field that is growing uh, and evolving very quickly. Uh, so fellows uh, and data scientists working in the field need to be able to uh, learn quickly. 
you have to be able to address new fields, new technologies, new tools, new libraries, pick them all up very quickly and make progress with them. And as you can probably imagine in the past two years, uh, the work environment has shifted dramatically. Uh, we went from working in offices to everyone working from home to now hybrid approaches. Um, so companies are looking for people who are willing to be flexible. Uh, companies are actually a lot more flexible these days than they may have been in the past, but still they want flexibility out of the employees as well. Uh, so fellow candidates who are willing to consider uh, relocating where they're living or perhaps moving to a field that they hadn't originally considered, um, those are going to be the ideal people. But in some ways, I'm bearing the lead. The most important thing we see again and again that our hiring partner is looking for is the ability to translate technical topics uh, for a non-technical audience. That is the ability to talk about these technical things that you're doing in a way that they can be understood by somebody without those technical chops. That is by far and away the thing that our hiring partners are looking for when they're hiring data scientists. Not the ability to program, not the ability to do stats, but the ability to communicate. Uh, and so that is the big thing that we are looking for when we are uh, choosing people who will get the fellowship spots. So how do we make that decision? Well, there's a three-stage application process that you go through as you come join us at the Data Incubator. Uh, the first is just a brief survey where you give us some of your personal background information. Um, and this is a pretty quick check just to make sure that your educational background aligns with what the general expectations of our hiring partners are. This certainly is not trying to say, did you graduate from uh, the top schools or did you have one specific degree? But we're just checking that you have some of that college background or perhaps some of that work experience that's going to qualify you for these. There's also a number of sort of boring uh, regulatory questions we need to ask here uh, so that we're in compliance with the relevant uh, <laughs> regulations. That's why some of these questions come out. But importantly, there's no decisions that are made about fellows versus scholars at this stage. This is just gathering the background information that we need to advance you on to the next step. And that next step is a technical challenge. So in this technical challenge, we're going to ask you a set of questions, two broad groups of questions, uh, both of which we're expecting you to answer by writing some code. One of these will be about analyzing data. Uh, we're going to give you a fairly large amount of data and ask you to answer some questions about that. The other one's going to be more about coding and a little bit of a brain teaser or a puzzle about how to compute an answer. And there are going to be several different ways to complete this, and any of those ways to complete it is fine. We're not looking for you to find one particular solution. We just want to see how you attack this sort of problem. And we will ask not only for the answers you computed, but the code that you wrote to answer those questions. Uh, and those two things, both the answers and what you did, will help us make that decision. And what we're trying to see here is a little more of that technical side that we know the hiring partners are looking for. So some questions we'd like to answer from this is, can you process data and can you do that perhaps more than just what you might be able to do with an Excel spreadsheet? Excel is a great tool for what it does, but it is a little bit limited. Uh, and you're going to be expected to be able to go beyond that. And we want to see just a little bit of what you can do there. We also want to know uh, if you're given a somewhat vague problem, uh, can you figure out how to solve it? Even if you haven't seen that problem before, even if you don't know exactly how to solve it, can you make some progress? Can you start divvying that up into smaller pieces that you do know how to solve? And while we try to give a reasonable description of the problem, we don't give step-by-step -step instructions. And there's places where you're going to have to make reasonable decisions, especially in the data challenge, about what is meant there. And this is part of working in the real world. You're not going to get a step-by-step -step instruction for anything. You're going to have to make these decisions. So part of this is to test, will you be able to make those reasonable description decisions when faced with an incomplete problem? We also want to take a look at the code that you're writing, uh, because when you're working in any organization, uh, the code that you write is not just for you. It's going to be shared and collaborated with uh, by a whole team. So is the code that you're writing the kind of code that other people might be able to read and understand and collaborate with? And this is a lot that we're asking of you, <laughs> many things here, and we're not expecting uh, you to have all of these capabilities. It's quite common that fellows excel in only one or two of these, uh, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, we're going to be able to teach you many of these, uh, but the ideal fellow candidate has at least some beginning on some of these. After all, I like to tell people, if you could do all of these right now, you wouldn't need to attend our program. You'd be ready to get hired as it was. Uh, so when you start the challenge and you see all these things we're asking for you and you say, I don't know how to do all of this, do not worry. That is, in fact, intentional. 
what you want to do is find at least one or two ways to impress us in the challenge, uh, either by making good progress on the data challenge, making good progress on the coding challenge, uh, producing very nice readable code, um, or ideally, maybe you wanted to, uh, two or three of these things again. So from the challenge, we get a good idea of who is uh, uh, likely to be a candidate to be a fellow. But that final decision is made in the third step of the, uh, the application process, which is an interview. So in this interview, uh, you will uh, have a chance to talk not only with us, but also a group of several other uh, applicants to the program at the same time. Uh, we do this, uh, I was about to say these days, but we've always done this online. We're not going to make you travel to one of our locations uh, for the interview. Uh, so it's online these days via Zoom. Uh, and I think these days, most of us uh, are familiar with how to use Zoom. And we're going to ask some questions uh, about your background, uh, some of the research or the other work you may have done, uh, some of your experience with loading, processing, uh, analyzing data. And it's also going to be a chance for you to ask questions. Uh, we usually try to leave at least a couple minutes at the end, but we're also interested in letting you interact with some of the other people who are applying for the program. It's not going to be a perfect uh, uh, representation of what it's like to go through the program, but meeting some of your potential future colleagues uh, will give you at least a little bit of a feel for what we do uh, here in the program. And what are we looking for here? Well, the big thing is that same big thing that we said that the hiring partners are looking for. They want to understand uh, can you explain, can you convey information about these technical topics, which I'm sure many of you worked on either in your academic careers or in your previous work? Can you explain those technical topics to a non-technical audience? So we're really looking for your ability to take uh, what you've done, set out the both what was accomplished and the why of that. Why were you doing this wrong? What was the goal of this? Did you accomplish that goal? What could you have done better? What might have you done differently? It's not, oh, I was able to do this big mathematical calculation and ta-da, I get the answer is 42. Instead, we want to know why you're doing this. How does that impact other people? Um, and can you give me the understanding of that without getting into the deep technical details about that? Part of being able to convey this information is making sure that you are focusing on those real world impacts. So we don't want you telling us a whole lot about the theoretical background of this or any of those uh, abstract uh, hypothetical concerns that might be addressed by it. Instead, we want to know what's the real world impact of what you're doing. And sometimes that's more direct and sometimes it's less direct. But even people that are doing completely theoretical physics research are doing it because that is applicable in some way to the real world. So make sure you're drawing that connection. Make sure that you are uh, convincing us that this is important research or important work that you're doing uh, for real world implications. We're also curious to learn how do you attack problems? That is given a problem, how do you figure out what it is that you're gonna solve there? How are you going to break that down into pieces and how are you gonna ensure that those pieces get complete? Because again, you're not gonna be, have your hand held when you're working in an industry position. No one's gonna tell you do this, then do this, then do that. We want to see, are you capable of taking a large problem and solving it in pieces? And you're not going to be doing this alone. You're going to be doing it as part of a team. So we'd also like to learn a little bit about how you've been working in teams in the past. And I know that uh, for some people, especially those coming out of academia, may have been do working, doing work largely on their own. But you still had advisors. You still had uh, lab mates. So tell us a little bit about how you work together in those organizations. And of course, uh, we want to see that sort of flexibility that many people are looking for. Um, are you able, are you willing to move around a little bit? So think about what is holding you at your current location, what's not holding at that current location. Uh, give us as honest an answer as you can about your ability to uh, move around or relocate and your interest in different topics uh, to join us. And it may seem like we're asking, oh, make sure you're coming with uh, all of this uh, experience working in an industry, but no. Uh, we have plenty of people who are in the fellowship position uh, who are uh, coming straight out of academia. Uh, but what they're able to do during the interview process is convince us that their academic environment has prepared them very well to move into that corporate or that industry environment. So don't feel like we are looking just for, oh, have you worked here before? We're also trying to see, can you go into these uh, more industrial positions? So getting into a little bit more of the nuts and bolts about this, uh, how should you, are we actually going to calculate, calculate this? 
Uh, how are we actually going to conduct this thing? Uh, well, as I said, it's done over Zoom. And these days, it seems that most of you are pretty good at Zoom. I don't know what happened in the past two years, so make that change. But still, it's worth testing things out. Uh, get set up. Uh, make sure that your microphone's working, your camera's working, your lighting is reasonable. No, we're not looking for you to be a, a fabulous director with uh, uh, perfect lighting, but make sure we can see you. Uh, these days, a lot of business is being done on Zoom. So show us that you know what's going on there. And I know people are coming from a variety of different backgrounds, but we highly recommend getting that, that computer connection. Don't rely on that cell phone connection. Um, even if it seems to be working for you, often we have people who are breaking up and it's very hard to hear. Uh, you will get an invite uh, when you advance onto the interview stage to sign up for the interview. Uh, so there's a number of slots that are open, and this is all first come, first serve. So once someone has taken the slots that you wanted, tough luck. You can't get those anymore. Uh, so keep an eye out on your email after the challenge uh, portion. Get in there quickly. Make sure you choose uh, that slot that you want. Um, uh, we can't... Uh, move them around, right? Other people have signed up for them. Uh, and we do have a pretty hard timeline here. We try to give you as much time as we can to complete the application and the challenges, but that means we can't extend interviews because then we run into enough time of getting you everybody actually into the program. I know a lot of people like to sign up for that uh, interview slot at the very end, right? Give you yourself that extra time to prepare. I understand that. But on the other hand, I wanna point out that at the beginning of the interview process, um, uh, at that point, all of the interviewers are nice and fresh, and they're excited about what's happening. And you might make a little better impression if you sign up for those earlier slots um, uh, before all of us who are doing the interviews get tired uh, and hungry and ready just to eat lunch. Uh, so a little thing to think about. Maybe you don't want to push yourself all the way to the end there. Also note, times are listed in Eastern time, uh, which is very confusing for those of us who are on the West Coast who have to figure out when we are scheduled for interviews. But time zones are a mess. We made the decision, all of them are in Eastern time. As I said, uh, do that testing ahead of time. Look professional, uh, record yourself or have a Zoom call with someone else, double check that they can hear what you're saying, that you're reasonably lit, that we can see you in the camera, et cetera. But at the same time, don't over-prepare. Sometimes we get people who have sort of scripted out their answer to every single question and they're just reading their answers right back to us. And we can tell. It's very obvious. Even if you're doing a good job in looking at the camera, there's a difference between someone who is actually talking to us and understanding what we're asking and someone who's just reading a script. So we're not looking for that, uh, that, that script. Uh, think about the things you want to say, maybe even take an outline of those notes. But uh, listen to the questions we actually ask. Uh, talk to us as you're answering those questions. Um, and that's going to make a much better impression on us. Uh, do your best to limit distractions. I know, uh, especially uh, these days, we're all stuck at home. There's going to be things happening in the background. Uh, but try to find that quiet corner of the, the house uh, or the closet or wherever you can get away from other people. Uh, and finally, you're selling yourself. You're coming here uh, and you're putting forth your best face. So tell us why you're a great candidate. Tell us what's impressive about you. Go out and brag a little bit. Um, and for many of us coming from academia, where uh, this is not necessarily encouraged, this can feel a little bit awkward. Uh, but this is a way to convince us that you're a, a good candidate. I want, when I'm interviewing people, I want you to succeed. I want to admit everyone we can as a fellow. Uh, so give me the, all the excuses you can uh, to say, oh, this is the person we want here. Uh, display that confidence, even if you're not feeling entirely yourself. Put forth that, that broad, uh, broad face, that happy face. Tell us what's special about you and why you deserve to join us. Uh, and the more you do, the more it sticks in our mind and the more likely we are to be able to make you a fellow. Now, I've spent a lot of time here talking up the benefits of the fellowship uh, and the benefits are great, but I do want to remind you that it is a prestigious position um, and most students who attend do not get offered the fellowship. Uh, it's simply an issue of uh, money and resources aren't at it. It would be lovely if we could give everybody a fellowship position, but we cannot. Uh, so uh, while I encourage everyone to apply uh, and do your best to get that fellowship position, please don't be overly dismayed if you're not able, if we're not able to offer it to you. Uh, it's still prestigious to join us here at the Data Incubator, and that fellowship position impacts what you are paying us. It also impacts the different options you have for looking for hiring partners. But that's it. 
As an instructor, I do not know which students are attending as fellows and which students are attending as scholars. The hiring partners that you'll be contacting do not know whether you're attending as a fellow or as a scholar. Uh, so you get the same opportunities, the same education, the same possibilities. Uh, so I encourage you to join us whether or not we're actually able to offer you that fellowship position. Uh, it's prestigious. Uh, we do want as many fellows as we can get, but uh, we cannot make that up for everyone. So apologies for that. Uh, but don't worry, uh, you're not marked as such of not getting it. Once you're in the program, uh, everyone is running from the same position. Uh, and with that, I'm going to hand it back to uh, Sierra, uh, who will give us some of the details of, if you're not offered one of those fellowship positions, uh, the different options you have uh, as you're joining us. Thanks, Rob. So we get asked quite a bit as we offer financial options and what our assistance is, and we do have a couple options for our students. And we understand you may be aiming for the full tuition scholarship spots, but we want to make sure we have options available for our students to be, to be able to participate in our program. So we've partnered with LEAP to provide an income sharing agreement. It's great. It's one of our most popular options. You can participate in the program with just a deposit down and you won't be required to make any payments until you've graduated and are working and earning more than $40,000 annually. We also provide traditional loans through Ascent. There are three options there being uh, deferred repayments, interest only repayments, and then immediate repayment options with different terms applying to each of those. And then lastly, for our part-time programs, many companies are willing to sponsor or pay for their employees to go through their program. It's a win-win. You get to learn great stuff in the evening and be able to apply it to your job during the day. So if it's something that you think your company would be interested in or you would like to present to them, we do have a letter we can provide you to help you lay out the program and all the benefits of attending. We're also very excited to announce that for, we are launching two new scholarships for our data science and data engineering program. We'll be offering our new women in STEM and diversity in data scholarship for our fall 2022 program. And these scholarships aim to help remove barriers and provide opportunities for women, veterans, LGBTQ plus, and students from racial and ethnic backgrounds that are traditionally underrepresented in technical roles. So again, these scholarships apply to all of our programs and you'll be awarded a $3,000 scholarship to be able to participate in either data science or data engineering. A couple things to note for our fall cohort that will start September 19th for full-time and part-time. The full-time program ends November 11th and the part-time program ends February 3rd. The early application deadline is July 1st and the challenge deadline is July 4th. So some specifics about the application, we ask that you submit your application by Friday, July 1st. And when you do, make sure that you mention you attended the session and you'll get priority application review. You'll then have 72 hours to complete the challenge from the time that you open it and the challenge deadline is July 4th. You can't complete the challenge unless you submit the application. So just in general, I recommend you complete the application and challenge sooner than later to avoid any technical issues. We're unable to reopen the application or challenge after those deadlines. And if you are interested in applying our program, which I hope you are, you can go to thedatingcubator.com slash apply to submit your application. We'll also post that link in the chat. And then if you have any questions about your specific situation, this presentation, or going through the application process, please reach out to us again, admissions at thedatingcubator.com, and we'd be happy to answer your questions. I do want to mention that these dates for the application challenge are for early admissions. We do have a regular admission cycle after that, and the difference between those two is for early admissions, you do receive our priority enrollment package, which gives you priority consideration for fellow spots. It also allows you to work with our, our resume writer company sooner than the other students in our cohort. And then you also have a Python prep course before the program begins. So you do have the option to apply for regular, but we highly encourage you to submit your applications for this early application deadline. So with that, we are going to open up our Q&A to questions. If you haven't posted questions in there yet, please do so now and we'll be pulling those to answer live today. So our first question here is, is, I don't have any experience or background in coding, but I'm familiar with some softwares. Also, I have a doctorate in economic, economic. How easy is my diversion to data science? I think it's certainly a, a very reasonable background. Uh, in general, a data scientist is going to combine two fields, uh, a bit of statistics and being able to conduct and analyze experiments, and a bit of programming to be able to do that analysis on large amounts of data. 
Uh, there's a little joke that I like that a data scientist is a better programmer than a statistician and a better statistician than a programmer. Um, so it sounds like you're coming with a lot of that stats background. Uh, and economics does involve a lot of statistics, a lot of discovering and exploring natural experiments. So I think you're probably very strong in that background. And if you haven't done much programming, we'll be able to teach you that side of it. So if you're coming with a strong background in one of those two areas, you're well set to join us at the Data Incubator. We can fill in the missing parts of that other uh, background. That said, uh, I encourage people to just start fooling around with uh, programming languages even before you join the program. Most of what we teach, in fact, these days, almost everything we teach is in the Python language. So go ahead. There's many great tutorials for Python out there on the internet. Just start playing around with it. Get yourself a little bit familiar. That's going to help you hit the ground running when you join us uh, at the fellowship program. So another question here, if someone is offered a fellow or scholar position, can they defer their offer to a later term? So if you are offered a scholar position, you can defer up to our the very next cohort. So for fall, if you're offered, you could defer to our winter cohort. We don't allow our fellows to defer their admissions. So if you wanted to defer as a fellow, you would either have to switch to a scholar position or reapply for one of those future cohorts. And then another question here, are fellowships possible for non-American applicants? So we review all of our applicants the, the same, regardless of where you are applying from. So we are reviewing, as long as you have are scoring the highest in those three areas we mentioned with the resume and background review, your coding challenge and your interview, you are on the same playing field to be considered for a fellow spot. And then the total cost, so another question here, the total cost for the program and the value of the fellowship. So the total cost for the program for our fall cohort for the data science program is $11,000. And then for the data engineering program, that is $10,000. So you have some different options available to you if you decided to fund the program with one of our financial aid offerings. We also do offer a $2,000 discount if you pay directly and you apply in early admissions. And so if you do get admitted as a fellow, then you are only required to pay your deposit fee, which is $250 to attend. And then another question here, what courses are included in this curriculum? So if you're asking about which programs are your available for the fellowship, you it would be our full-time data science or our full-time data engineering programs. And if you'd like to learn more about either one of those curriculums, you can email us admissions at the data incubator, and then we can send you a more detailed overview, which breaks down the modules of each program. Another question here, how soon will the decision come after the interview? So it depends on when you interview. If you interview on Monday, you would get your decision on Friday, uh, but we interview usually Monday through Thursday. So the week of your interview, that opening Monday through Thursday, and we send out decisions usually towards the end of the day on Friday. That's one of those reasons why we're not actually able to extend the interviews any further, because we really write are right on, uh, up against the wall in terms of the timing there. Uh, that said, after we make this decision, you do have some time, part of the reason we pushed it earlier, you do have some time to uh, make your decision of whether you're going to join us and start figuring out uh, issues of funding if that's uh, a portion for you. So we have to move quickly, but we, we try not to rush you at least as much as we can. And then another question here, what are some deciding factors for people to consider in choosing between data science and data engineering? That's a very good question. Thank you. Um, so data science, uh, I imagine most of you have heard about. Uh, it is the field now maybe 10 years old of conducting analysis on large amounts of data. Uh, data engineering is a little bit of a newer field and it's just getting hot these days. Basically what people noticed is that data scientists are very valuable for companies, but they're often blocked with issues of getting, preparing, organizing the data so that they can do their work. Uh, and then once they've done the work, they need to also spend some time putting that into production. Uh, so data engineer is a newer position, we find, that is helping out with these things, that is working on the ingestion, the storage, the management of data, and also working about taking uh, the work of data scientists and putting it uh, into production environments. And frankly, these days we're seeing more interest from hiring partners about data engineering than we are about data science. Both of the fields are hot, but the data engineering field is even hotter right now. Uh, so if you're curious, I suggest taking a little bit of an interest into the data engineering field. Um, the data engineering field is more about uh, uh, getting your hands dirty with different production systems, uh, interacting and setting up databases, uh, data processing pipelines, uh, automating tools, uh, and writing that production quality code. Whereas data scientists are more going to be focused on conducting analysis, 
Um, some areas, they're going to have to do data engineering tests themselves. Sometimes they're going to have teams to help them with those things. Uh, so if you really like uh, doing statistical analysis, if you really like uh, under, uh, understanding patterns in data, uh, data science is the way to go. But if you like playing with computer systems, if you like organizing and automating processes, uh, if you like polishing things and getting them ready for production, uh, the data engineer is the way to go. And as I said, there's a lot of interest from hiring partners in data engineers these days. Another question here, how important is the capstone project proposal for fellow position? It's required before the start of the program, but optional for applicants. So is it possible to get a fellow spot if the capstone proposal is not done at the time of the application? It's certainly possible. I encourage you to spend a little time thinking about what you'd like to do for your capstone project, um, uh, because this is one of those ways that you show off to the hiring partners. Part of the program uh, near the end of the program is a capstone showcase where we take some of the best capstone projects as voted by the students uh, and let the people who've worked on them present them to hiring partners. And if you come in on day one of the program and you don't know what you're doing, it's very unlikely that you're gonna have one of those outstanding capstone projects. So I would start thinking now, and what I tell people is start focusing on problems that you see, problems that you have, problems that family have, problems that friends have. And think about which of these problems could be solved by some data analysis. Uh, and if you find such a problem, that is a good capstone project, even if you don't know the details of exactly how you're going to solve it. Some people address the problem by saying, oh, there's a data set. Let me do something with that data set. And those capstone projects are never quite as exciting because they're sort of backfilling the purpose of it. Uh, so since you're thinking about this already, which is great, thank you, start thinking about those problems that you see people facing and which of those problems might be amenable to solving with some data analysis. Uh, and if you've done that thinking, that's going to show, I think, in the interview and help us understand that you're one of these people that's ready uh, to go apply your knowledge and your skills to real-world problems. And I will add on to that. If you haven't finalized your capstone project before the program starts, that's okay. We're not expecting a completed project at this point. You will have an opportunity to meet with the instructors and present your idea where it is at this point, and then get some feedback from the instructors as well. So it's not required for one of those fellow spots, but as Rob mentioned, it does really help us see those people that are have put in that effort to start thinking about their project outlining as well. Okay, another question in here. I, I'm interested in the healthcare sector. Do we have hiring partners in that sector? So yes, we do. We have quite a few hiring partners in the healthcare sector. We can go ahead and send you that list if you email us admissions at thedatingcreator.com. It's broken down by industry. So you can see the different options that we have available for you. And then how many fellowships are provided per session? So it varies session to session by our total number of applicants. And as we mentioned, most of the students in our program participate as scholars. We offer a limited number of these between each cohort. And they are very competitive because they're going to those students that have scored in the top of those three categories. And again, just to refresh your memory, it will be your resume and your academic background. We will look at your coding challenge scores and also the scores and notes from your interview. And then how do interviewees engage with one another during the group interview? I'll pass that one to you, Rob. Well, that's a little bit up to you. Um, <laughs> uh, you'll be in the group together because we want you to meet some of the people that might be going through the program. Uh, and generally, we will open up the floor to let, uh, let you ask questions of each other. If someone has something said, if someone has said something, it's harder than I thought it was going to be to say. If someone has said something interesting and you want to learn more, uh, please, please do ask a question. Again, part of what we're trying to see is how will you work with other people, both in the program and eventually when you get a job in industry. Um, uh, so good questions are, hey, tell me more about this thing. Oh, this is related to something I know. Is it the same thing? Can you help me understand it? Uh, but if you start asking questions that are trying to put someone else down or, or just sort of showcase your own intelligence, that's not going to be a good look. Uh, so it's up to you exactly how you want to interact, but remember what we're looking for. We're looking for people who will be able to be team players, who communicate well, uh, and who would uplift other people uh, through their interactions. Another question here says, I am a climate scientist. Can my capstone project be related to the climate? Yes. That said, one of the things that you're going to be facing if you're coming out of academia is this uh, this prejudice that you don't know how to solve real world problems. And the danger of choosing something that's related to your research 
is that it's very easy to turn that into a very academic project. So it's certainly possible and using your domain expertise is a good strategy here to get a nice project. Uh, but if you do that, make sure that you're not so wrapped in the, up in that academic background that you're missing those broader use cases here. What I'd recommend, if you want to go with that way, make sure you have some hook, something about the project that's connecting beyond just the climate research you've done. So that could be the impact of it on uh, farmers, what they can grow. It could be the impact on how uh, housing development spread. It could be the impact on, I don't know, you have to come up with these ideas. But make sure it's more than just, oh, I want to advance my PhD or my master's research a little bit further, uh, because that's not going to catch the eye of the hiring partners quite as much. Another question here, is there a threshold for the size of the data sets in the capstone project? Good question, no. To a certain extent, more data is better. But the thing that uh, hiring partners are looking for is not, did you manage to load a terabyte of data and process it? They're looking for, did you manage to solve an important problem? And sometimes that important problem has two megabytes of data. And that's all you need to come up with the solution. So did you choose an important problem? Did you find the relevant data? And if that relevant data was only two megabytes, that's fine. The point is that you're solving the problem. Uh, so I would not look at data size to make that decision. I would look at the impact of your solution. And then another question here, what is the success rate of the data science program? So if you missed it earlier in our presentation, we see about 88% of our graduates are working within six months of completing the program. I know six months sounds like a lot of time. It's usually a lot sooner than that. Some of our students have received offers in the program immediately after the program. So it just varies. But on average, we see that 88% within that six months of completing the program. And part of that is because there are a fair number of people joining the program in the last quarter or the last half year of their PhD or master's program. And they're simply not eligible to start a job immediately after that. And therefore, we like to look at a little longer time period to incorporate those uh, students as well. And we also reposted the link to our alumni outcomes page in the chat. So if you didn't see that earlier, you can click that link to see what our alumni are up after completing the program. So we still have some time for a couple more questions. If you have anything else that you'd like answered live, please put it in the Q&A. We have put a couple of resources in the chat, our email, the link to complete your application. There's also a link to schedule a call with an enrollment counselor. So if there's anything that you don't feel comfortable asking in this group setting, we're happy to schedule a call with you there as well. So I see a question here. I was intimidated and scared to attend the last interview after watching a couple of past videos. Do you have scholarships for data engineering? So I'm going to start with that first part, um, being intimidated and scared to attend the interviews. It is definitely, I, I can understand why you would feel that way. Our instructors and staff are really here to support you through the process. We're not going to ask you questions to try to trip you up or make it very difficult for you to answer, but we really want to understand your, your process and where you are in your um, journey, your data journey at this point. We want to understand what you're looking for, what projects you've worked on, and what your goals are. And we're also here to support you. So We'll have someone there asking you about your career goals, what you're looking for, so we can make sure that we can tailor your job search in the program to exactly what the, you know, the role you're looking for once you graduate. And, and then, Sierra, can I follow up on that? Yes. Remember what I said, we're looking for a reason to admit you as a fellow. We're, we're trying to find that thing. We're not there trying to say, oh, I don't want this person for this reason, this person. We're looking for a reason that you will succeed. So that doesn't have to be everything. That has to be one thing about you that makes you that great candidate. Uh, so try not to be too intimidated by all the other people that all have their own good qualities. Find that thing that's special about you and make sure that comes across. And then we do offer scholarships for our data engineering program. We offer those full tuition scholarships, those fellow spots. And then we have our women in STEM and our diversity in data that applies to both programs. So even if you aren't admitted with that full tuition scholarship, you do have the option to apply for one of those and receive that $3,000 off of your tuition as well. So I see another question in here about the average pay of hired graduates. We've seen a, a range and definitely an increase over the past couple of months. And on average, I would say our graduates are earning anywhere from 120 to $130,000. And I see more questions in the Q&A, so I will pull from there. So as a current academic, I typically serve in a supervisor capacity for student projects. How can we leverage these experiences to address the questions of how we work in a team? 
Well, I think that is a sort of a question you have to, to answer for us. I think that is a great place to talk about how you uh, you work with other people. It's also a place where you can highlight how you set uh, goals, how you set progress, how you measure that progress, how you make sure that your students are uh, doing and the right thing and moving in the right direction. Uh, but I can't tell you what the right answer is because you're the one that's been doing that and you have to tell us what it is that you have been doing. So one of the things we tell our students in our program, and I think it's also applicable before you start, is that your academic experience is your work experience. And what Rob is speaking to is being able to translate what you've done in your years you know, of academia into business experience or industry experience. So showing that you supervise the team, I mean, that's a great skill that our hiring partners are looking for. It's more, it's even more so than just working on a team, but being able to have that certain skill set to lead a team as well. So just in the way that you phrase your responses to the questions can help us to understand the experience that you've had in academia, which does translate to industry as well. I see another question about the income sharing agreement is the percentage based on the income. So yes, it is 16% of your annual income and it goes into monthly payments. You'll either pay 12 monthly payments or when you reach the payment cap and then the ISA will expire. So are the funding plans available to Africans? I mean, outside of the US. So if you have a visa that grants you a US social security number, you can apply for our ascent loans for the, or for ISA, um, you have to have that US social security number to apply for ascent. If you have a co-signer that is a citizen, they can apply with that as well. We also see some of our students securing outside financing. So if you have a bank or another company you can work with that's local to you, you can apply that way as well. And then where can I find example coding challenge to gauge my knowledge of the topics it covers during the coding challenge? Um, you can uh, visit uh, several of these uh, online coding challenge pages. I actually don't know what the name of them would be, but places like HackerRank or LeetCode. Um, and the things to look in there are not necessarily the, uh, the CS challenges, but look for challenges about algorithms or dynamic programming. Uh, those are often going to be related to our CS challenges. It's going to be a little bit harder to find uh, data challenges there, uh, but you can just start playing with data yourself. There are a number of government sites that have open data, data that the governments have gathered. I know New York City has a lot of these, uh, San Francisco has a lot of these, New Orleans we've used for our data several times in the past. Just go grab some of the data and start exploring it. Figure out how to load it in, figure out how to answer some questions about it. Uh, that's probably the best way to get ready for that side of things. And then a question about our diversity scholarship, what kind of minorities are considered. There's more information to come. There will be some, we'll, we'll send out a one pager that'll show you all of the requirements and the way to apply for those. So more information to come on those too. And then another question here, what positions, what positions do fellows generally get hired to, entry-level analysts or data scientists too? So I know that there are quite a few entry-level jobs, but the, the Positions range and it varies by the hiring partner on what they're looking to fill. So not all of the jobs are entry-level positions. It varies depending on what they're looking for. I know we've had some people join a team of you know, 20 data scientists and then they may be data scientists level two or something like this. Other people join companies where they're the first data scientist. Uh, and it depends a little bit on your background, but I know several students have done this, have been very happy to come in and essentially have a VP working with them to start up the data science program at that company. So it's really quite a wide variety of, of uh, possibilities there. And then another question about capstone projects. So what are some examples of capstone projects with use cases that are interesting to hiring partners? So I would, I would say you're not worried about the use case being interesting to hiring partners itself. I don't know if that was what the question was asking. But we're worried about having that particular use case. Um, and if the hiring partners see that impact, then they're going to be happy. So we talked a little bit before about uh, uh, climate. And just having a, a project that's tried to predict uh, the changes in the climate over the next five years is not that interesting. But we had a nice project a uh, cycle to back of someone who is using that. Uh, and then trying to impact what did that mean for farmers? How was that going to change land availability, land use, the different products or the different, uh, uh, what do you call the things you grow? Crops, the things you grow. Uh, how would that affect different crop usage in these different areas? So that takes it from just being, oh, a prediction of climate to, ooh, an impact 
Uh, now this might affect, you know, how do you buy futures in these different crops over the next couple of years? Uh, how should farmers anticipate these changes and be ready to exploit them? Uh, and that's sort of the difference between that academic uh, uh, blue sky thinking versus something that has an actual impact. And this is interesting to hiring partners, whether or not they're doing farming themselves. They want to see this uh, ability to have the applied project. Any other questions? We have time for a couple more. If we maybe missed yours, if you have it in the chat, transfer it over to the Q&A so we can make sure we can answer it for you today. Okay, I'm not seeing any other questions. So Rob, I think we did, a, that means we did a great job when we answered all of the questions today. But again, if you have any that you'd like to ask offline, we are more than happy to schedule a call with our enrollment counselors to answer any last minute questions that you have before applying to the program. And I do see one last question about the diversity scholarship. It is an application process you would have to apply for, so it won't be admitted to all of the students that apply, um, but you'll have the opportunity to apply and discuss that in your interview. So again, more information to come about the exact criteria and the, what we're looking for for those, but you'll have an opportunity to apply with the fall, so fall program as well. Well, thank you everyone for attending today. Again, this session is recorded. It will be sent to all registered attendees very soon. It typically takes a couple of days to process. It is usually also available on our YouTube page as well if you wanna go and watch it sooner. And then if you have questions, we have those resources in the chat to schedule a call with the counselor, your alumni outcomes page, or submit your application. And I wanna thank everyone for attending today. Thank you, Rob, so much for joining me today and helping me answer so many of these questions and help these students with those tips to earn those full tuition scholarship spots. Well, thank you. And thanks everyone else for coming out and joining us. We look forward to seeing your applications in the next coming days and weeks. Um, and uh, best of luck uh, and hope that you'll be able to join us in the fall. Bye everyone, thank you. Mm -hmm.